Gratitude to God for His provision and mercy and grace is an act of worship that pictures God on His eternal throne. It is so easy to forget that you and I are not the center of the universe. God is. The Apostle Paul wants Christians to understand the critical importance of seeing God enthroned above the creation. Self-centeredness is too often the lens through which we view God and this life. This is a deadly view, because when things don't go our way, or if God doesn't answer our prayer, we assume that He doesn't love us, or worse, is incapable of giving us what we want. God is not a magic genie. His purpose is not to do what we say, nor is it to give us what we demand. This self-centered approach to God is the demonic lie that ensnared Adam and Eve. Paul keeps hammering home to us the doctrine of God and our appropriate response to the God of the universe. Praise and thanksgiving must fill our hearts daily and moment by moment. So here we are, uh, week four of five sermons that deals with the theology of thanksgiving as outlined by Paul in his many epistles and letters. Does anybody know what today is, October 31st? Yeah, some of you said Halloween, and um, you're all unspiritual, whoever said that. You're right, it is, a, it is a Halloween celebration. But I'm going to tell you what celebration it is for us as Christians. This is Reformation Sunday. I don't know if you know that. 504 years ago, a monk by the name of Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 theses to the door of his church in Wittenberg. And what he did is he wanted to challenge the Roman Catholic Church to return to its roots it had seriously deviated, seriously gone in the wrong direction. The thing that, that broke the camel's back, as it were, for Martin Luther was that Johann Tetzel, a representative of the Pope, was going through the villages of Germany selling indulgences. And what an indulgence is, is that if you purchase that indulgence, then what would happen is you could actually get your loved ones out of purgatory and send them directly to heaven. So, of course, who doesn't want their beloved family members to skip that, that, uh, that step and go directly to heaven? Well, of course, everybody did. And so what was happening is that you've got these very poor, very, very poor, extremely poor uh, peasants in Germany taking whatever little bit of money they have and purchasing indulgences to get their mothers, their fathers, maybe uh, children that predeceased them, spring them out of hell. In fact, this is what Johann Tetzel said. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. It was, it was uh, uh, a very neat little phrase, but this was, this was Martin's moment when he said, this is all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And he, he nails these 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And what happens is 
literally a historic uh, neutron bomb that has gone off. This is, uh, this is changing now the whole history of the world. Luther, in studying the book of Romans, he, he came to understand the doctrine of justification. That is that we are made right with God through God's grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Does everybody understand that? Yes, sola scriptura, sola uh, gratia, and sola, solo Christo. It was by Christ alone. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, they disagreed with that, and they said that, no, 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 if you're going to be made right with God, it's going to take more than just faith alone. It's going to take your good works. And Martin Luther said, no, that is not biblical. We are made right with God not by any of, of our good works, but we are made right with God by our faith in Christ alone. Now, some of you may ask, well, does that mean I don't have to be good? Because I've heard that. I've heard many people say that. And of course, of course, that's a stupid question to ask. Sorry if you were thinking that. Uh, no. The evidence that you put your faith in Christ is that now you are producing good works. That's the fruit of your faith in Christ. Does that make sense this morning? So you don't win favor with God because, because you're doing good works, but rather your good works are the fruit of a life that's put its faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm telling you, this caused an uproar in the, in the Christian church at that time. The Roman Pope went nuts. He sent his cardinals to, to wrestle with Luther. You've got you to wrestle him to the ground. I mean, they, not literally, but you know what I mean. This, this debate with him and challenge him on his doctrinal position and make sure that you force him to see the teachings of the church. Well, as it turned out, and this I find so, so funny, uh, the cardinal, there, there's a, we didn't send bishops. We sent cardinals to deal with Martin Luther. The cardinal, Gasparo Contarini, he actually ended up agreeing with Martin Luther and, uh, and, and didn't agree with the Pope. And so he went back to Rome and he was rebuked and censured and we never hear another word about the guy again. Uh, maybe he left it, lost his cardinalship, I don't know. But what, came, what became of this Reformation? And what does this have to do with Thanksgiving, you may wonder? Well, let me say this to you this morning. This, this Reformation, this Protestant Reformation, this, that's where the, the term Protestant comes from. It's, it was a protest against the false teachings of the Roman church. This Reformation got the church back on track again. They got back to being God-centered. What happened in the day of Luther and up to that day, is that the church had, had gone from being a, a Christ or God-centered church to becoming now a man-centered church. So in other words, it was what the Pope said, not what the Bible said, not what God says in the, in the Scripture. It, it, was, it was a church-centered. It's like whatever the church says, the church tradition, that, that takes first place. And Martin Luther says, no, it doesn't. We have to be God-centered. We have to be Christ-centered. The only, only guide that we should have is God and his word. Would everybody say amen to that? Amen. 
So we're not, so, so the church, it, it, you must understand, is not opinion-centered. You did not come to church this morning to hear Alan Duncalf's opinion. You, you came here to say, or to hear, thus saith the Lord. You want to know what God has to say. Am I right? Anybody want my opinion? Thank you. <laughs> of course, that's Shauna, my dear old friend. No, you didn't come here to hear my opinion. This is not, this is not a debating center. This is not an opinion center. It's not a philosophy center here. You don't care about my ideas or thoughts, and really, at the end of the day, I don't really care about yours. And I'm not trying to be rude or anything. What I care about is what does God say? What does God require us of us? What does God want of us? So I'm going to tell you all this morning, or remind everybody this morning, that when it comes to your Christian faith, the starting place is God. Does everybody get that? It's not man. That's why at Cross Church, it's not about Alan Duncalf. Some churches, it's all about the, 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 the demigod called the pastor. It, he's a celebrity. It's not about that at this church. It's about Christ and his church and what he does through his church. Everybody understands that. So you, if you Google my name, you're not going to come up with Alan Duncalf Ministries. I don't have my own webpage trying to glorify myself. No, it's God-centered God-centered preaching, God-centered teaching, it's the Word of God that matters. So, the filter then, that through which we make all of our decisions and come to our understanding of anything to do with God's will, has got to be His Word, right? It's got to be His will, right? And His character, right? I'll never forget, at the funeral of my stepsister, Amber, she, uh, she died very young. She, she just finished nursing school. And, uh, and, and then she passed away due to cancer. And Pastor Barber, I'll never forget it as long as I live, the opening words at her funeral service was this, God does all things well. That shocked me. It shocked me because it's not what I expected. But you see, if you start with God... In his word, if you start with God's character, then you can say, God does all things well. Would anyone dispute that? Now, if you don't start with God, then you will be, for the rest of your life, confused about the way God functions and about who God is. How many of you have thought, I prayed about something, I prayed about it, I prayed about it, God didn't give me what I want, and I don't know, I'm mad at God. But you see, if, if you're starting with man, if you're starting with your ideas, if you're starting with yourself in mind, then you will be, for the rest of your life, a confused man or woman. We need to understand that God has got to be central to everything that we believe, all of our belief, all of our prayers, has got to be what Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Father, not my will, but thine be done. So are you convinced today that God does all things well? Are you convinced that God is good? Yeah. Try it again. God is good? All the time? Yeah. Are you convinced of that? See, this is what it means to have a God-centered theology. And with a God-centered theology, that everything in the Scripture begins to make sense. All the ways that God works, it begins to make sense. 
And of course, I could labor that point. But I need to get on here this morning because the Apostle Paul tells us in, in Colossians chapter 3 that we must be thankful. He says, be thankful. It's a command. Remember what I said? Imagine the Apostle Paul holding his finger in your face and say, be thankful. Be thankful. You may not like that. But why does he have to do that? Because by nature, we're not, we're not thankful. What, what are we? We're self-centered complainers. It's all about me. God, why can't I have it my way? But the wonderful thing, folks, about this, if you understand the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the wonderful thing is that you know that God does all things well, and don't worry. He's got it under control. Okay, so whatever you're going through today, whatever struggle you may be going through, you need to understand God's got it all under control. So let me just quickly remind you of what we've learned thus far about Paul's theology of thanksgiving. First of all, we said that thanksgiving is predicated upon the, the, the work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection. If you've put your faith in Christ then you are no longer under the wrath of God. Remember I said that? The whole world is under the wrath of God because of sin. But those who put their faith in Christ now are protected because you are hiding in Christ. And hiding in Christ means there's nothing but the joyous love of the Father. So that is the beginning of thanksgiving. And then we said that, that if, you are, if you're going to be a, a man or a woman of prayer, then you have got to be giving God thanks in the midst of your prayer. And why is that? Well, because when you're giving God thanks in the midst of your prayers, what are you doing? You are confessing your dependence on God alone. Got it? If you don't need God's help, why are you praying? I go to God in prayer because I need God and I need his help. And so every time I give him thanks, I am acknowledging his work in my life. God is not finished with me. God continues to work in my life. And even when I fail and even when I sin, and yes, I'm sorry to break it to you all today, but your pastor does sin. Not on purpose, necessarily, but that's who we are. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray every day, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So your, your times of prayer must be full of thanksgiving. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us. And then last Sunday we said that thanksgiving will kill idolatry in your heart. Did you hear that? If you're giving God thanks, it kills idolatry. And of course, when we talk about idolatry, it's anything that takes God's place in your life. And many of us here today are actually, that's the thing you're struggling with right now. There's something in your life that's taking God's place. And so the Apostle Paul would say that the antidote to that is, by, is getting into the habit of saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because now with this Thanksgiving, your focus again is on God and you're putting him first. You're not putting money first. You're not putting sex first or power first or, or, or substance abuse first. You're putting Christ first. So you and I need to get in the habit of giving thanks. Well, today, I want to tell you this. Thanksgiving, are you ready for this? Thanksgiving kills your self-centeredness. Thanksgiving kills my self-centeredness. Would you say that with me? Thanksgiving 
kills my self-centeredness. So today we're learning this, and here's what the Apostle Paul tells us in uh, Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All of us understand that. We believe that. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And look at this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what do we know, folks? Look at me. What do we know about ourselves? We all know that because we are sinners, we are self-centered creatures, aren't we? That's all of us. I mean, you did not come to church this morning to be insulted by me, and that's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm trying to tell you the truth about yourself. That is your problem. In fact, all the problems we have are, uh, can be found in that, in that main issue. It's, it's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is something that all of us struggle with, and the fact of the matter is, is rather than praying, thy will be done, we'd rather pray my will be done. That's our problem. Whether, we, whether you admit it or not, or whether you actually mouth those words, although I think many people do mouth those words when they're praying. They go to God with their shopping list full of things. God, this is what I want you to do. And hop to it. And get your angels on, 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 on the job. And, and let's, let's get this thing done. God, you know exactly what I want. Folks, <laughs> understand something today. It's Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that we obey, and we don't want to do our will. How many know that when you do your will, it usually ends in a real disaster? How many would agree with that? Yeah. You know that when you do your will, then, oh, my goodness, it just, it's a disaster on your hands. So we understand that. The point, my friends, of being a Christian is that you are now an agent of God. That means you are somebody who has devoted his or her whole life to doing the will of God. That's, that's what it is to be a Christian. I don't know if you know that this morning, but that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You're doing the will of God. And I'm going to tell you this. This really is a great definition of holiness. So one of the things that I remember my grandmother talking about uh, when I was growing up is the need for us to be holy and I, I agreed wholeheartedly with her, although I didn't really know what that meant. And uh, I would say, well, what do you mean by that, Grandma? And, and, and she would tell me the things that, that she believed holiness meant. It means that you don't drink and you don't dance and you don't smoke. You don't play cards. And, and then a whole list of other things. And I thought, okay, okay, that's what holiness is. I'm, I'm in, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say, Grandma. But as time has gone on and as I have come to know the word, the thing that I, the best way I could describe holiness, my friends, is, is just doing the will of God every time. Everything that you do is the will of God. That's what holiness is. And by the way, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life even now. We talk about this process called sanctification. That is the work of the Spirit in your life making you holy. What, what does that mean? It just means that the Holy Spirit is working in you and training you and helping you do the will of God every day, every time. Does that make sense? 
So this is, this is who we are. This is what we need to do. And how do we do this? Well, we have to, we have to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, or thanksgiving in our hearts. Well, you would think, wouldn't you, that if you were an expert in the word of Christ and able to teach and admonish others, you would think, well, there goes a very spiritual and a very holy person. Wouldn't you think that? But the problem is, is that's not what happens so often and too often. I cannot tell you how many seminaries, you know what a seminary is? It's a place where they're supposed to train young men and women for ministry. You would be shocked at how many are filled with professors that are not even, are not even born again. They're not even truly converted. Being an expert in the word of God is not a guarantee that you are going to be a strong Christian. Look at the Pharisees. Who knew the word of God better than the Pharisees? And yet Jesus called them a brood of snakes, of vipers. Josh, Joshua Harris, some of you may have heard of him, author of the popular evangelical bestseller called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And every evangelical pastor and youth pastor bought truckloads of those books and handed it out to their kids so that those kids would learn how to be, how to date as a Christian. Well, it was not that long ago that he denounced his faith. He said, I'm not a Christian anymore. What on earth happened? Well, I'll tell you in just a moment. But let's, let's look at the rest of that verse. It says here, um, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual th- songs. Well, you would think that if you're a great singer and you knew the hymns off by heart and you could sing all those wonderful songs from Hillsong, from Bethel, and from around the world, that if you knew all those, that you would be the most spiritual person, right? Well, Marty Sampson, a worship music writer, singer, and active member of Hillsong, publicly denounced his faith on social media. What on earth happened? And then there was John Steingard, part of a Christian, Christian band. And then Ray Bolt, some of you may know his song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. That's, that, that song was sung, oh my goodness, uh, on every occasion, like at funerals and, and, and for anybody who was doing anything good for God, well, we'd sing that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord and, and for being such a wonderful person. Well, he now lives with his husband. What is going on here? My friends, I'm going to tell you what's going on. The minute you're singing, the minute you're teaching, you're preaching, the minute that you read the scripture through your own eyes, through a self-centered filter, this is what happens. It all falls apart. And the way that the Apostle Paul is guaranteeing us that it will not fall apart is by paying special attention to the last clause in that verse, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The focus has got to be not on yourself, not on your great teaching, your great preaching skills, not on your great singing skills, your great memory for for Scripture, your great memory for, for hymns, not on your ability to even write hymns or write songs. It's got to be on God and on God alone. Thankfulness 
causes us to focus on God, on Christ alone. Someone say hallelujah. Yes. Thanksgiving, says Paul, is the way that you stay humbly focused on Christ. Why? Because thanksgiving keeps us God-centered. Let me just read to you the story of the ten lepers in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. You know what their leprosy is? It's not leopards. It's leprosy. It's a skin disease that causes your skin to lose its feeling. Its nerve, it, the, the nerves uh, become uh, useless and your hands feel no pain. And therefore you become severely uh, deformed. It's, ter- it's a terrible disease. So these men were are cleansed of their leprosy. And we get to verse 15. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And it says, look, watch this. Remember I said this, this humbly, being humbly focused on Jesus. Look at this. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet doing what? Thanking him. Thanking him for what he had done. And then I love this in, in, in this one little sentence. This man was a Samaritan. Isn't that great? This, in other words, what's Luke saying? You would think that the one who would do this would be, at least would be Jewish. And it wasn't even one of God's chosen. It was a Samaritan. How shocking is that? And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? This is a rhetorical question. Jesus knows how many he healed. Didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Nine were self-centered. Nine refused to give God the glory. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Because isn't that just the way it is with us? We find it very easy to go to God and complain about our situation, to complain about how things aren't just right. And we give no attention to the many, many, many ways that God has blessed and cared for us. Look at my friends, if you're going to move away from self-centeredness to being God-centered, it always begins with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, in case you don't know it, is, is an aspect of worship. Now, when we worship God, we worship him in, for who he is. We remember his omnipotence. We remember that he's uh, uh, omnipresent. We remember that he's omniscient, he knows everything. This is the great God that we serve, and our hearts are filled with joy and wonder and awe at this great God that we worship. But another aspect of worship is, in fact, thanksgiving. 
And when you and I give God thanks, now what we're doing is we are not just acknowledging his omnipotence and his omnipresence and, and, his, and his omniscience. What we're doing is we're saying, God, who you are is, is my father and you're involved in my life. You think of God as the God of the universe, but stop to realize when it comes to Thanksgiving, you're, you realize that he's not just the God of the universe. He's the God of Alan Duncalf. He's your God, and he's at work in your life. Yes, he's involved at, and at work in the universe, but he's also involved in your life. And when you get, stop and give thanks to God, what are you saying? You're saying, Lord, I understand. I understand who you are, and I understand what you're doing in my life. So the question is this then. We understand then that, that thanksgiving kills self-centeredness in our lives. But the question is, how do we stay self-centered? Well, obviously, the, the quick answer to that is just make sure that you keep on, on saying thank you. But there's more to it than that. And, and Paul, prior to saying this in chapter 3, he says this in chapter 2. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. You must continue to follow him. How many know today, look at me, how many know today that when you became a Christian, it wasn't just a matter of saying a sinner's prayer and say, like, that's it, I'm done. I've, I've done everything. I can get on with my life now. Whew, I'm, going, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Now I'm just going to get on with my life. Listen, if you think that's what it means to be a Christian, then you are truly deceived. You do not get it at all. I know people like that. I said a sinner's prayer. I pastor. I got baptized, and I come to church at Christmas and Easter. I never miss. That's, that's, not, that's nothing. That's just being religious once in a while. We're talking about being truly converted, where you now are living your life rooted in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And then watch this. And you will overflow with thanksgiving. Now look at look at this. I know that we got a smart church. Everybody in our church is pretty smart. And if I had asked you that question without showing you that verse, I'm pretty sure that everybody here would have given me some version of this, except for maybe the last clause. I, I could have asked anybody here, how do, you, how do you grow in your faith? And you'd say, well, you have to have a daily walk with God, Pastor. And I know, uh, Pastor John, you have taught us that we need to read our Bible every day because when I read my Bible, that's allowing God to speak to me. And I have to pray every day because that's me speaking to God. So we have to have this two-way relationship. I think everybody here would be able to understand that, would be able to repeat that back to me. And you would say that then my life has got to be built on Jesus Christ. So you would be correct in that, but you're not giving the full definition of what it means to stay Christ-centered. Can I remind you of something? This is, this is another important doctrine in Scripture, and that is that when you became a Christian, you, were, you became united with Christ. It's called the doctrine of the union with Christ. You are united with him. So when Paul says that we were crucified with Christ, that is, we died with Christ on the cross, and then when we were buried with, 
with Christ, then we were resurrected with Christ. And everybody would say hallelujah and amen to that. Right? You understand that. But the problem is, is how do we keep it fresh? How do we keep it alive? How do I stay Christ-centered every day? How do I keep my faith from being just a Sunday event? And in some cases, some people only go to church once or twice a month. So how do I, how do I get beyond that? Well, Paul would tell us in this last clause. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Listen, thanksgiving, as I've already told you, is an important aspect of worship. So yes, we're going to praise him for dying on the cross for our sins. We're going to praise him for being resurrected from the dead. We're going to praise him for for all of his attributes. But we have to stop and say, thank you, God, for the way that you're involved in my life day to day and moment by moment. And I'm going to tell you, the longer I serve God, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I understand just how very, very involved in my life that God is. I've come to the place now when things are not working out right for me, I just say, God, look, it's, it's your problem, and I know that you've solved all my problems in the past, and I'm going to trust you with this problem as well. Thank you, Lord. That took a lot of years for me to get to that place. But I can tell you that that's where I am because I have learned the importance of this, being thankful. In fact, overflowing with thanksgiving. Why must we be full of thanksgiving? Why? Well, I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. It's to remind you of your dependence on God and to remind you of God's providence, of God's provision, that God keeps his promises. Does God keep most of his promises? That's it. God keeps all of them. He is faithful. He is, in fact, 100% faithful. That's why I love that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, because God never fails. But listen, my friends, if you stop giving God the thanks and the praise, then you start to forget that God's got it all under control. Hello? If you stop giving God thanks, then you begin to think, oh, well, i got to take things into my own hands. Listen, the worst thing that you can do is take your life into your own hands. How many know that today? That's, a, that's probably part of the reason why you became a Christian in the first place, because you knew that you weren't doing a very good job taking your life into your own hands. You knew that you needed God's help. So what happens when we fail to give God thanks? Well, my friends, what happens is that you lapse into self-centeredness again. It all of a sudden becomes about me. Me, 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 me. And some of you, that's, that's your prayer. If, you, if, if I sat in on your prayer time, I would say, well, man, this is all about you. you the thing is, is you're sitting in on your own prayer time. And you know, you know what kind of prayers you're offering up to God. Up to God. My friends, when you are giving thanks to God, then you stop pursuing your will and you, you, you pursue the will of God. That's what happens. 
Thanksgiving is that reminder, that daily reminder, that moment-by-moment reminder. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, to pray without ceasing and give God thanks. All through the course of the day, you're constantly talking to God. Remember, because he's the paraclete. He's, along, he's the alongside one. He's with you all the time. You're giving God thanks. You're, giving, you're praising him. You're thanking him. And what are you doing? You're acknowledging his work in your life. So thanksgiving, my friends, is something that Adam and Eve did not do. So Adam and Eve are in the garden going for a walk, and suddenly they see a snake, and the snake strikes up a conversation with Eve. You know the, you know the, the, the thing. And, and the snake starts to question Eve about this tree. God didn't, God didn't really say you can't, you can't eat from this tree. Now watch what happens. Rather than Eve giving God glory, rather than Eve giving thanks to God that they had the ability to eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden, that there was only one, she focused on the the do not. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Because that's what we do. And that's what got them into trouble. Rather than giving God the glory and the praise and giving him thanks in that moment of temptation, they focused on what God said they couldn't have. My friends, I'm telling you today, that is very likely the reason why you keep falling into temptation. It's why you keep falling flat on your face. It's why you keep failing in your walk with God. Because rather than recognizing God's rich provision in your life, you're focusing on what you want. When it came right down to it, Adam and Eve decided what they really wanted was to be like God. And my friends, that's the beginning of the end for every one of us. You have to say, God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, not my will, but thine be done. The minute you say, God, I'm not, I don't want to do your will, that's the beginning of major, major problems in your life, in your family, and in your marriage. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, you've got, to, you've got to be rooted in Christ, but make sure, make sure, make sure you don't fail to give thanks to God for his kindness and his provision in your life. Thanksgiving, my friends, kills self-centeredness. It kills the self-will. Thanksgiving is the, is the power that enables us to do the will of God. And that, my friends, is what holiness is. This is the way that we please the Lord. So the focus cannot be on anything else. It cannot be on what's wrong in my life. It can't be on, on your circumstances. How many of us lose our way, lose hope, lose our joy? We start focusing on our circumstances. And Lord would say, get your eyes off your circumstances. Remember, the, remember Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, if that's really you, Lord, then, then let me walk with you. Jesus reaches his, out his hands to Peter. Peter gets out of the boat. The minute he gets his focus off of Jesus, what happens? He begins to sink. See, in that moment when he stretched out his hand to walk on the water, his heart was full of thanksgiving that Jesus Christ, his Lord, was beckoning and was calling him. But he got his eyes off of Jesus And now fear entered in. 
And that's what happens to all of us. Every one of us, every single one of us has got exactly the same story as Peter does. And so we get our eyes on Christ and we stay focused on him. You don't focus, I don't focus on my dreams. And that's a popular teaching. It's a popular heresy in churches now. We don't focus on our dreams. I'm not focusing on my vision or your vision or your hopes. And, 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 and conversely, we don't focus on the, on, on the bad stuff either. We don't focus on our lusts. We don't focus on our, on our, our, our desires of the flesh. We focus on Christ. We don't focus on Satan. This is something that Pentecostals, I think, have been in error on. We focus too much on Satan and not enough on Jesus Christ. I don't care about Satan. I only care about Jesus Christ. And I care about what he thinks of me. And I care about what he wants. Does that make sense to you today? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he'll lift you up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hey, I'm not afraid of Satan. I'm afraid of God. (laughs) Humble yourself. And how do you do it? By giving God thanks. This morning, we're going to take communion together. And Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, just before he went to the cross, he gathered his disciples together. And it says... In Luke 22, 19 to 20, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Just look at me for a moment. Don't move. Don't do anything. Just, you have to hear what I'm going to say to you now. The Lord Jesus said, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember what I've done for you. You remember. Do you know that in the Roman Catholic tradition, in the Orthodox tradition, and I think maybe the Lutheran tradition, maybe a few others, they call communion, what we call communion, they call it the Eucharist. The Eucharist comes from the Greek word ephkaristo, which means thank you. It's giving thanks to God. Right now, what we're going to do, we're going to get our focus off of ourselves. We're going to get our focus off of our circumstances, all of our problems. We're going to get our focus off of the people that have hurt us or maybe made us angry. We're going to let all of that go right now in Jesus' name, and we're going to focus on Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we're going to give him thanks. And we're going to remember that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he died on the cross and he rose again. And as we take communion together right now, and those of you who are watching at home right now, you probably have a little communion packet, a communion kit. Go ahead and get that in just a moment when we play our video and and be prepared for this. But understand this. That as we take this communion, as we take the Eucharist, we're saying, thank you, God. Some churches, and it's something I've been considering, some churches do communion every single Sunday, some evangelical churches, so that we're constantly reminded to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Focus is not on me, Lord. It's on you. 
So I'm going to ask you right now to take a moment. We're going to play a video clip. I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments to examine your heart. The Bible is clear that we cannot take communion if we have not put our faith in Christ, and we cannot take communion if we hold a grudge or resentment in our heart. Ask God to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is what we're celebrating right now. We're celebrating we are sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, and we have eternal life through Christ. So take a moment to pray, and then we'll take communion together. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take a piece of the bread together, shall we? Father, we want to say thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We want to say thank you that it is in Christ that we have eternal life. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to you. We belong to you, Lord. You are our Father. You have revealed yourself as our Father. And that means, Lord, that because you're our Father, that means that we belong to an eternal family, every one of us. And because you're our Father, it means, Lord, that we can depend on you to provide for us and to meet our every need the way any father would. Father, thank you today that you are our provider, you are our strength, and we thank you, God, that as you reveal your will to us, you reveal what is best for us. Give us the courage and the faith to trust you and to remember, Lord, that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection is what guarantees our eternal life. But more than that, it guarantees to us your work in us, sanctifying us and transforming us. So do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim 
my death until I return. Let's take it together, shall we? Father, we give you thanks again for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God, we know that that shed blood is that propitiatory covering. We are under the blood of Christ, and therefore we are protected against the wrath that has been poured out. God, thank you that we have no fear of death. We know that when we die, Lord, we will not face judgment, but rather we will face a glorious entrance into eternity and we will receive glorified bodies. That means bodies that are like Jesus. We thank you, God, for the rich heritage that's ours. Now give us the courage, we pray, to go from this place as a people full of praise and full of thanksgiving. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? And we'll close with this word. Father, as we go from here now, we pray that your face would shine upon each one, that you would give peace and strength to each one. We pray, Lord, that each one would know your presence very powerfully in his or her life. We pray, O oh God, that your will would be done in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit who works in us, your spirit who works through us, your spirit, O oh God, that is the, is the guarantee, is the seal guaranteeing our eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. To all the person beside you, go be thankful.